And thank you once again for joining us for a very special bonus edition of Focus on Fertility. It is a special day in the field of assisted reproductive technology as we celebrate World Embryologist Day and also the birthday of the world's first IVF baby. We are in studio today with our sponsor's lab team, MCRM Fertility's lab team, and we have Lab Director Dr. Doug Gleet and his team joining us today to talk a little bit about what it means to be an embryologist, and we're going to learn more about that as well. So thank you so much for each of you joining us. We do appreciate it. Thanks for having us, Dale. This is an honor for us to be celebrating World Embryologist Day. So let's go around the table. Why don't you each introduce yourselves and give a little bit of how long you have been uh, in the field practicing uh, the field of embryology. Let's start first with uh, our lab director, Dr. Glee. Hi, it's a pleasure to be here, Dale. Um, yeah, I've been in the business, I guess, for about 30-some-odd years. Um, 40 if you include looking at uh, algae out of pond scum and everything else. But uh, I, I got into it in my bachelor's in um, like 1983, we worked on cattle and pigs and everything. We did embryo transfers and flushing, and that was pretty fascinating. Um, but uh, about 20 years ago, I got into the human field, and uh, it's been very rewarding. I haven't turned back. My name's Taylor. I got into um, reproduction, I don't know, it kind of happened just because I grew up on an equine breeding farm, so it was totally a normal thing, you know, talking about you know, how babies are made. And when I got my bachelor's degree, afterwards I did a research internship working with endangered species with reproductive research. And from there it kind of snowballed into getting into andrology and then embryology. And how long have you been doing it? So I've been in it for three years now. I'm Kelly. I'm the andrologist in the lab. Um, I worked in research for about four years before coming here. Um... Yeah, I'm a I'm a newbie here in the in a clinical setting. How long have you and how long have you been dealing with andrology embryology? Um, in I've worked in research for about three years, so doing andrology work that way. Hi, this is Jessica. Well, I'm new at MCR Infertility. Just got here about a week ago, uh, but I've been in the field of embryology for about three and a half years, and. Uh, yeah, I got into it just in college. I started, I took an equine reproduction class and I thought it was super interesting. And then I just started reading up on it on my own, got into working with cattle, ovaries, and then uh, with the San Diego Zoo for a bit, and then and then kind of started in human embryology. And last but not least, we have Teresa. <laughs> I, I'm Teresa and I'm one of the senior embryologists here. As a matter of fact, today I also celebrate my second year anniversary at MCRM. Congratulations. <clears throat> However, this is also my 30th year in the field. Uh, you don't choose embryology, it chooses you. When there was a new program opening in Springfield, Illinois, I was chosen to do their quality control because I had experience with handling mice in the lab. And so there I learned how to produce mouse embryos by doing IVF on mice and using the mouse embryos for the quality control standard that we all know of today in our field. And here I am 30 years later still working at it. Wow. You know, 
one of the questions I, I think a lot of people are probably curious, especially those who are going down the journey, and they are wanting to know is, you know, when did you first consider to be an embryologist? And it sounded like kind of in your bios that you introduced yourselves that many of you, it was kind of you were dealing with some type of biological sciences with the animals that kind of got you there. Is there anybody that may have had a little bit different journey or had earlier considerations of, of going in this direction? No. I don't no. think so. <laughs> I don't think so. It's a pretty common path. And why did you choose to become an embryologist? I mean, obviously you guys could have gone down in other directions in, in animal sciences. What really was the driver? Now, obviously, Teresa, you kind of mentioned it kind of chose you mm-hmm. to, to come over this way. But is there a reason that you guys felt this is a direction you guys really wanted to go? Basically, it just, I mean, it was interesting um, to do it in, in cattle and in animals and everything. And it's like, well, hey, how can we utilize this to, you know, help out our fellow humans, so to speak. So, uh, it, I mean, it's just the opportunity came up and we went for it. Now, is this common for most folks that it starts with the veterinary sciences before you go into human embryology? Or do most people go directly from school, college, right into human embryology? I think more recently now, people are now getting the opportunity to go directly into embryology. But at least a few years ago, I mean, up until a few years ago, that was mostly the animal sciences that took you there. But I think now with a lot more programs developing for hands-on embryology training, uh, people are actually going directly into the field versus and actually like majoring in it, sort of that being their specialization. But before there wasn't really that option. Right. There's, uh, you know, programs in developmental biology and everything that you could take, but not necessarily just human embryology. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it kind of pieces together. It's only been the past couple of years where they've put some programs together where they actually have a program in human development. As far as specializing in reproduction, most of that occurs if you're, you know, a physician and you're going to go to med school, or if you're a veterinarian and you're going to go to vet school. There's not necessarily a lot of programs engineered to scientists that are interested in reproductive biology historically. That's been more of a recent thing in the last, you know, decade or so that they've had more of those programs popping up and where it's common to go into that field and not necessarily end up as a physician or a veterinarian. And I feel like, you know, like Teresa said, most of the time it chooses you, but there's a reason why everyone has stayed. And it's, we see things that no one else gets a chance to ever see or experience. And you see something new every single day. You guys mentioned that it's kind of relatively new with a lot of these programs coming on, specifically designed to to get individuals to become human embryologists. Today is only the 40th birthday of the world's first IVF baby, Luis Brown. Happy birthday, Luis. Uh, we're celebrating with you here in the United States. What changes, obviously this is one change, I would say, from what you're already discussing, the fact that there are programs developing specifically for embryolo- human embryology. But what other significant changes have you guys seen in, in the time of being embryologists? And we've got a few senior embryologists with Dr. Gleet and Teresa in here this uh, this morning, what major advancements do you think you've you can really point out in your time that have made major leaps and bounds forward? Well, really, um, in the early '90s, I mean, ICSI came around, 
where you don't just mix the sperm and the egg together and hope that it fertilizes. You've actually you know, developed, developed a technique to inject the uh, you know, single sperm into one egg. So that was the early 90s that that occurred. Um, the medias have gotten so much oh better gosh, and yeah, made a right big change for us. And, um, and can you explain what media is? Oh, the... That's <laughs> what the embryos are swimming around in, essentially, in the <laughs> okay. incubator. Okay. And um, the genetic in instrument, testing. Yeah, genetic testing, genetic instrumentation, testing completely. Thing. The incubator changes that we've seen. <laughs> uh, it's just... It's been fascinating to watch it come up, and and the use of the stimulation drugs I think has made a difference. Right, they've improved those over time. Over time. So. They're more purified now than they were. Yeah. And it's yeah, really the, thanks about that, Tater. <laughs> yeah, the the freezing and thawing of not only embryos to blastocysts, but now eggs also. The methods to do so have changed so much in the past few years that it's really become um, another integral part of the program. Definitely. To, to continue to get down that road to success for take home a baby. I, we've had them on previously from Vitrolife talking about as one of our episodes, and you can go back and listen to previous episodes if you're joining us and haven't yet on regards the embryoscope. And I know MCRM Fertility has at least one em embryoscope that you guys utilize. Is that would you consider that one of the a major leap and bounds in, in recent times, or how how helpful has that become? It's very helpful, Dale. Uh, we can actually see the development of that embryo, you know, from day zero to day five or six, and uh, you can see the developmental steps along the way. Which is, uh, you know, looking at the timing of those steps is they're developing developing algorithms that you know can kind of predict maybe the success of that single embryo. And how did that change your guys's workflow? I mean, you know, what did it make things different the way you guys approach things using the embryoscope or I mean, you, could you see things differently now? Well, I hate to admit it, Dale, but it did kind of free up the weekends. We put the embryos, <laughs> we put the embryos in the embryoscope, and uh, you know they camp out in there over the weekend. And um, you know we come in Monday morning and check all the developmental uh, time points. So I guess you're not missing any data then. Exactly. Weekend, it's, it's collecting more data than we could by simply observing them under the microscope. It's kind of like that saying, you know, if a tree falls in the forest, who's around to hear it? Well, you know, you put the embryos in an incubator and you check them at your specific points, but what's happening between the points, well, the embryoscope allows us to see that. So you're hearing all the time. I said hearing, seeing, yes. In your time, and some of you it's relatively short, others it's been a little bit more senior, what are the highlights of your job of being an embryologist? And let's start, uh, we'll start over here and go around. Okay. Uh, the highlights... Honestly, it's probably just, I don't know, I was really excited the first time I saw sperm, and that sounds really weird, but it was really exciting because it's like something that, I mean, your whole life you never would really get to see unless you got into this field. I mean, most men don't even know what their sperm count or anything looks like. So that was really exciting. And then the first time seeing an egg, like that was exciting to me. For, so for me, that's a highlight. And then obviously seeing a baby born from what something that you, cre you know, helped to create is really, was a highlight for me, so. 
Um, I think one of my favorite things is being able to make a difference in people's lives, um, being able to see the end product of a baby that you somewhat had a part in creating. Striving to do the very best we can um, in the laboratory is, is probably one of the highlights because uh, seeing the smiles on the patient's faces when they get that positive pregnancy test or you know, positive heartbeat. That's, that's really the highlight for me. You know, just like everyone else is saying, we all love to see, you know, the outcomes and we love hearing the triumphs and it happens along the way with our patients and those are all things that we take joy in. But at the end of the day, I also find it very humbling to look back and say, wow, every one of us is around here because of this, you know, like a sperm and an egg and things that we're seeing and we're watching start as the, you know, very complex but yet simple things <laughs> and watching them turn into you know everyone around us and the only thing I have to add to that because everybody's pretty much taken up to what, <laughs> what there is to say is that here we are years down the road later and with the advent of social media being able to keep in touch and quote watch those kids grow that they know I made it it's wow i i know my oldest set of triplets is 24 and i know that tomorrow on thursday i have some visitors coming from central illinois and those girls are 10 and they want to stop by because they're going to be in the st louis area so yeah rewarding hugely well Teresa, since you ended on the last question we'll begin you on the next question and you know uh, you guys have some very uh, wonderful highlights. You know, I think we all would agree. Seeing a, uh, the birth of a child, it's it's hard to have any happier moments in, in individuals' lives. But at the same time, uh, I would expect uh, that there's some difficult times being an embryologist, and you know, maybe not everybody realizes that, especially if you've been going through the journey. You know, I, I go back when my wife and I went through it. You know, you're not thinking about what's going on in the back. You're just worried about the end verdict. But obviously, there's things that are going on, and, and you guys are human, so you're going to take things personally as well during the during the course of uh, a patient's journey with you guys. What are some of those difficult points that maybe you you would like to let patients taking the journey understand that uh, you guys have to deal with inside the laboratory? I'll touch on one aspect, that way everybody else can be thinking of something else. One of the things that used to plague me most when I was the only embryologist in a program was, did I do my best for that case? How many are going to fertilize overnight? And oh my God, if they don't fertilize, what did I do wrong? You carry that with you. You don't sleep. You worry about that till you get there the next day. You look at those eggs and you pray that they have fertilized because if it doesn't, man, you are pointing your finger at yourself and you're taking it personally. Yeah, along that line, you know, at the end of the day, you know that you're literally holding what is potentially someone's hopes and dreams and even maybe their life savings in your hands. And in, we're, we're humans, you know, we're doing amazing things and amazing science. And, you know, we wait for those blood results to come across and say, oh, you know, are we pregnant from this transfer? Are we not pregnant from this transfer? And, you know, we just as much as we enjoy the triumphs, we still feel, you know, all of the bumps along the road behind the lab doors, whether you guys, you know, see us or realize it or not, you know, we're 
we're, we're seeing or experiencing both of those things with you guys. Yeah, definitely, um, you know, watching the development and everything. And, you know, even if you get a good fertilization rate and then all of a sudden the embryos, you know, don't develop the way they should, it's very disappointing. And, you know, you like to try to find a reason for it, but sometimes you can't explain, you know, what happened. Um, is it genetics? Is it environment? You don't really know. And I'm sure it's tough because patients are going to wonder why. Exactly. And expect you guys to be the ultimate answer source. Right. But a lot of times we don't have the answer. And, you know, the, the dish next to them, you know, maybe did just fine. So that's, that's very disappointing when embryos don't develop the way they should. Yeah, I know all of us in the lab try our best. Um, I think one of the hardest things is just optimizing your protocol and doing everything you possibly can to um, give them the best chance, but it's really difficult when you're not successful. Most everything, again, has been said, but just in general, I mean, I think just hard thing for a lot of us uh, is, you know, it's a stressful position, and I think it can be difficult, especially for people who already have a little bit of anxiety, uh, to, you know, it, just because, yeah, a lot of it is unknown. You do, you know, you don't know potentially what's going to happen. You do your best, but you don't know. Um, and then, I mean, obviously one of the low points is just finding out that, you know, someone's not pregnant and let's say they've gone through a couple cycles and it continuously not getting pregnant. I mean, that's really, you know, tough to take. So. Yeah. Probably especially when, you know, everything went perfect from, you know, stimulation, retrieval, uh, development and transfer. And if they did PGS, the embryos came back, you know, euploid, and then you put a, an embryo or two back and they're not pregnant and that's you know nobody can explain that hopefully in the future though we'll we'll get at least maybe some more ideas as to how we can increase that exactly for those of you that may be listening that maybe this is a job that you think you're interested in what advice from the five of you sitting here would you give somebody who maybe is tuning in because they're 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 thinking maybe this is a, a path of a career that I want to follow. Um, what could you guys give to them as some advice? Well, definitely, you know, um, it, it takes some a degree or two to get into it. Um, a bachelor's, you know, is necessary. I have to hire people with bachelor's. Um, you know, study your sciences, your math, you know, get all your core stuff and get developmental biology uh, if you have a passion for that, I mean, we've got a place for you. I guess the advice I would uh, give, because, you know, where I've worked previous previously and stuff, we've had people starting out, um, is you're in charge of your own, like, career. So if you don't put the time in and you don't work hard to get what you want and to get the training and to read up on your own and stuff, it's going to be a really difficult job for you um because that was for me at the beginning and then you know I really like ramped myself up and got myself trained quickly but you know it's something that it takes a lot of hard work and you're not gonna just have someone pushing you along through it so I think one of the most important things is being passionate about science and always learning you're always learning in this field and always changing um and so you know you want to find a career that 
it isn't like going to work. It's going and having fun, but also producing results at the end. Yeah, I was going to say, much like Jessica, you know, you have to kind of take the bull by the horns as far as, you know, some degree. I can't count how many articles or textbooks I've read about, you know, oocyte morphology and, you know, sperm morphology and new techniques arising. And, you know, you have to try and keep up on those things. And then at the end of the day, one of the negatives is that we put so much passion and so much into our work that sometimes it can mean that your, you know, your home work balance is not quite what you would want or maybe, you know, your home life takes a little bit of a hit because you're so passionate about your job. Dedication is the last word I would use. I mean, as long as Doug and I have been in the field, we're dedicated to seeing it from the start to the finish every cycle. And you just, it's just built into you. It's, it's hard but so rewarding when you get to the point you want to be at. That's true. And my final question for you is there's a, most of the listeners out there are probably somewhere along their fertility journey, whether they're getting ready to do IVF, they're, they're going through the IVF process, or maybe just thinking about where they're going next. What would you guys like to say is uh, some inside advice or inside words of wisdom from behind that laboratory door? We're doing the best we can for you. Um, we're not opposed to answering any questions you have. If you can't find us, then you, you uh, any clinic, I don't care who it is, if you want a question in embryology, find a way to contact an embryologist. We're always here to help. Yeah, we're always available, um, you know, sometimes by phone, but by email as well. Uh, I think all of our emails are on the website. If you have a particular question for us, you know, feel free to send us a note. Anybody else? I don't know. This sounds cheesy, but I was just going to say don't give up because we won't. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, on behalf of all of our listeners and uh, – on behalf of the patients, I know that uh, you guys serve at MCR Fertility. Once again, thank you for what you do for so many on a daily basis. Happy World Embryologist Day. And uh, thank you again for joining us today. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. If you've been trying to start your own family and haven't had success, you're not alone. Millions of people just like you are experiencing the same very personal and painful frustration. Infertility affects men and women equally. The Missouri Center for Reproductive Medicine, MCRM Fertility, can help. MCRM accepts most insurance and you don't need a referral. They offer the most advanced science and technology, including exclusive techniques and the embryoscope. Check them out at mcrmfertility.com. Thank you goes out once again to the lab team there at our sponsor clinic, MCRM Fertility, for joining us today. But most importantly, thank you goes out to all of you who work in the labs across the United States and the world, helping bring about the joy of life to those who have been dreaming of being parents. And happy World Embryologist Day to you, and happy birthday, Miss Louise Brown, on your 40th birthday. We appreciate all that you do for the world of assisted reproductive technology. As always, we appreciate you, the listener, for joining us each and every week for a new edition of Focus on Fertility. 
And if you are relatively new to our podcast, we'd like to invite you to follow us each week. You can do so on your favorite podcast listening device, whether it's iTunes, Google Play, iHeartRadio, the TuneIn Radio Network, or Podcast One. Or you can also follow us on our website at FocusOnFertility.net. All of our previous episodes are available through those podcasting sites as well as via our website. And if you have questions that you'd like to have specifically answered in an edition of Focus on Fertility, or maybe even have ideas of topics that you would like to hear covered, please email me at questions at focusonfertility.net. Until we talk next week, wishing you the very best in your fertility journey.